Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Joe. It's really exciting to be back here again. It's been a while since I've, uh, since I've been uh, to, to visit Grace Church. Uh, last April, my family and I moved to Melbourne after 25 years serving on campus here in Sydney. We took up a national leadership role, and so I've had the, the joy of learning a new city. I feel like a missionary, really. Different culture. Uh, trying to learn your way around the new city, you, you, know, you end up spending a lot of time following this blue line across a map. It's, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, so it was, kind of, it was really nice this morning to be able to drive along familiar streets and to come back and, uh, and see friends and people I haven't seen. Uh, I remember a couple of, speaking at a couple of men's retreats and camps. It's been good, uh, as well as some former students here. Um, before I start, I do want to acknowledge um, my parents have joined me this morning, uh, joined us this morning, and uh, it's wonderful to have them here and just to be able to testify that the influence that they had on my life, uh, growing up as a, uh, in a family where, people, where, where they tried to live out what it meant to follow Jesus. And uh, I think about as a leader, what do you do with leadership? And so much of the time you spend uh, dealing with difficult things and difficult people. And difficult things and difficult people require faith and love, right? And uh, they dealt with difficult things and difficult people, and they expressed faith and love. Uh, some of that was in the family, some of it was in the church, some of it was in other places. So um, I just want to acknowledge their influence on my life and thank, thank God for them. And uh, hopefully you'll get a chance to greet them after the service. But uh, uh, Joe and I were talking and, uh, about what to talk about this morning, and I want to turn to the book of Colossians. And Colossians is one of those books in the Bible that, uh, I mean, the whole Bible is relevant for today, right? But Paul, as an apostle, is writing to a church that he's never met. It was a church that was planted by one of his co-laborers. It was a church that uh, he'd heard stories about. And so he's writing a letter to encourage them. And the thing I love about uh, the book of Colossians is just the, the passion and the poetry that Paul expresses when it comes to Jesus. You think about that famous passage that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so I, I could spend all, you know, we'd love, be great to do a series through Colossians, but today we're going to cheat and we're just going to skip through to the application parts at the end and we're going to skip specifically to chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we're going to look at five verses, uh, just Colossians 4 verses 2 to six. And, uh, and in my New International Version, it's, um, it's uh, very helpfully labeled further instructions, which is my clue that the translators, interpreters didn't, didn't really think about or didn't really know how these verses hung together. But when I think that if you read it with missional eyes, as Paul is doing, that he's writing to a church and that he's encouraging them to focus on Jesus and to think about the mission, that they actually do cohere into a topic that I would call prayerful evangelism. And so let me read these verses with you and then we'll, uh, we'll have a look at what they say, what they mean for us today. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open the door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think when we look at these five verses, Paul gives us four instructions, four things to think about when it comes to our mission to people around us. And the first thing he says is that 
prayer opens the way for mission. Prayer opens the way for us to have opportunities to share the gospel. We see this in verses 2 and 3 where he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be being watchful and thankful. What are you watchful for? You're watchful for, for answers to prayer. You're watchful and thankful for the answers that God provides. But what are you supposed to pray for? He says, and pray for us too in the same way. The same thing that you're praying for yourself, pray for him. He says, pray that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which, we're, which I'm in chains. Uh, we can think about in our world, our, I would argue that in the last three or four years that our culture in Sydney and in Melbourne and in Australia as a whole has become increasingly secular, that we're going through a culture change right now similar to what we did in the 80s where we moved from modernism into postmodernism. And I think there's a new form of secularism that's arisen and we're struggling to figure out how do we engage with it. Lots of churches that I'm dealing with, uh, leaders from across Sydney and Melbourne, are uh, reporting that uh, after COVID, it's been a real struggle for churches to regather. And that, that, uh, that people have lost the habit of gathering, Christians have lost the habit of gathering, but also people who are outside the church have kind of like, well, what else do I need? Why would I need church? We don't really see the opportunity. And Paul says that we need to pray for God to open the door for opportunities for our message, for the message of which is the mystery of Christ. Uh, and, you know, this is not the only time in Australia's history that, that we've found it difficult to, pro to proclaim the gospel. Uh, as I moved to Melbourne, uh, I've been doing some research into the history of the church and into the history of the city. And did you know that in 1902, there was a revival in Melbourne? Uh, let me give you a bit of the run-up, a bit of the story to it. There was a gathering of church leaders from different denominations, different churches, who met from about the 1880s every week to pray for revival in their city. And as they, they were stirred in their hearts to pray for revival, they were talking about it with different people. There was a lady by the name of Mrs. Warren who caught the vision of a revival in the city. And so she organized a prayer meeting to pray for revival. Not only did she organize one prayer meeting, she actually ended up organizing 2,000 prayer meetings across the city that would meet regularly, weekly, to pray for revival in her city. Uh, there was a, the story of a guy called H.P. Smith, who was the, the manager of a place called uh, the, oh, I've got a mental blank on the name, uh, the, it was the Coffee Emporium. And uh, the temperance movement was much stronger in Melbourne than it was ever in Sydney. And, uh, and so the Coffee Emporium, the coffee, there was the Royal Windsor Hotel and the other Coffee Emporium that he, that he was leading that were established as alternatives for pubs. So that, you know, where did Melbourne's coffee culture come from? It came out of the temperance movement. Um, and so he, was, uh, he organized a prayer meeting at this coffee emporium each, um, each week. Uh, and then the, after a while, they, they decided they wanted to invite a speaker. And they knew about a guy called D.L. Moody, who had traveled the world and been a famous, effective evangelist. He'd visited Australia briefly earlier. And so they collected 15,000 signatures on a petition inviting him to come and host a revival in Melbourne. Deal Moody received the letter, put it aside to consider, but actually died two weeks later. And so he wasn't able to come. And so when the, the leaders of the church in Melbourne were looking for an evangelist to come, they traveled around and they, they ended up uh, meeting uh, Deal Moody's successor at Moody Bible Church, which was a guy called Reuben A. Torrey. 
And, Ruben, and so they invited Reuben Torrey to come and, and preach. And over the course of this month in Melbourne, in the exhibition building, which had been built specifically for the great exhibition, uh, world, uh, well, kind of like World Expo, uh, and then in the town hall, over the course of this month and in about 30 other centres around the city with other people preaching, they had uh, 250,000 people attend these revival crusades out of a Melbourne population of less than a million at the time. They saw thousands of people come to Christ. This was, you're thinking, just 30 years after the gold fields where, where there was just absolute mayhem. And these people were moved to pray for revival in their city. What would have seemed impossible at the time, God did because they prayed. He opened the door for the message. And I would say... We need to also devote ourselves to prayer. I'm not sure what word you would use, what adjective you would use to describe your prayer life, but I'm not sure devotion is really the one that I would use, apply to my own life. Um, sporadic sometimes, you know, uh, a, a good effort, but I'm not sure devotion is the word. But maybe we should pay attention to word, Paul's words here to say, devote yourselves to prayer, that God may open a door to our message. It can feel really difficult here in the Hills District, I was just thinking as I was driving in, it's like, oh, I know so many people. There's so many people out and about in the shopping centers right now not coming to church. How do we engage with them? Where do we find the opportunities to engage with them? Well, let's pray. Let's start by praying that God would open the door for the message. Uh, second thing that we need to do is, he says in verse 4, to uh, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. We need to pray we need to proclaim the gospel clearly it's very easy for us particularly for me i grew up going to church right and uh, I, I used to joke with students that when i turned up on campus as a first year student that i had a pile of sermon notes that was this deep you know it was like figuratively speaking and they were not in any order it was just whatever happened to be preached on that week I, you know i could add it to my mental my pile of mental notes of sermon notes and if somebody was talking to me i could pull a sheet out but if they asked me to explain the gospel i didn't know how to do it I was, it was, there was no framework in my head. Um, and it reminded me a little bit, and so it was very easy for people to get lost and for it not to make sense to them. And it reminds me, and this is an illustration I use about my dad, uh, it reminds me of a few years ago when he came and asked me for help in uh, buying a new computer. And, uh, you know, um, trying to explain or work out how many gigahertz he needs, gigabytes he needs, whether he needs SD RAM or, you know, USB-C versus US, uh, USB-3s. It's like, that's really great language, right? And important stuff. And if you know anything about computers, they're really, that's really important to know. If you don't know anything about computers, that's not the place to start, right? So what did I do was I packed him up and sent him off to the Apple store and said, go and ask them. <laughs> because if anything goes wrong, they'll be able to fix it for you. You won't, you know. So... Uh, and it's, but it's very easy to get caught up in technical language when it comes to the Christian faith as well. And it's very easy to not be clear. And so one of the most powerful things that ever happened to me was when I arrived on campus as a first-year student, having grown up in the church and being encouraged to share my faith throughout my whole life, was somebody sat down and taught me a simple gospel outline. Uh, it was the Knowing God Personally booklet at the time. It was God loves you and created you for a relationship with him but that we're sinful and separated from God by our sin, but that Jesus died to deal with our sin and that we must each respond to his offer of forgiveness so that our relationship with God can be restored and we can be living in harmony with him and the world that he's created. Uh, that simple outline 
empowered me to then be able to uh, engage in conversations. And then because I had all this background, any question that anybody asked, I was never threatened by that. But it was actually being able to be clear that allowed me to see people understand the gospel and have the opportunity to respond to it. And by God's grace, some of them did. If you don't know a simple gospel outline, uh, then let me encourage you to learn one. It's not because everything is contained in those four points. Um, those four points have been used by Campus Crusade, by Power to Change globally. You know, the little booklet that came out, there's been versions of that have been printed a billion times and been used to lead millions of people to Christ. But that's not the whole gospel. The whole gospel is recorded in here, right? But you can't sit down in five minutes and explain everything in here to somebody. You've got to find a way of summarizing it and explaining it clearly. As Paul says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So if you've got some homework today, it's like maybe I need to go and learn a gospel outline that allows me to proclaim it clearly if I end up in that situation where the opportunity that I've been praying for arises and then I can seize the opportunity by proclaiming the gospel clearly and inviting somebody to respond. The third thing he says here is that we need to adjust our behavior to take advantages of the opportunities that God has created. And he says this in verse 5. He says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Being wise to way, uh, in the way you act towards outsiders may sound defensive. It may, see, may sound like in a hostile environment, I need to be careful that I don't uh, offend somebody, that I don't uh, break any social conventions. I mean, you know, Joe's a chaplain in a school. You know, there's all sorts of restrictions and constraints that you have to be wise about how you behave because this is a secular environment, it's not a church. You don't get to do what you like. You've actually got to obey the rules and that's legitimate. However, he also says the, the wisdom is not just offensive, it's also taking advantage of the opportunities. Make the most of every opportunity that's put before you. Uh, I, I was living in Borkham Hills and, uh, and I was trying to be wise in the way that I took advantage of the opportunities to save money, right? And this applies to the, the gro our grocery shopping. Now, um, many years ago, we had a corner shop on the, on the corner just down the road from our house. And it was kind of the, the place that uh, if you were careful, you could actually see the guy who was running the corner shop up at Coles or Woolworths buying items and s to stock his store and with a markup, right? So you only ever shopped there if you were in the middle of, shop, uh, middle of cooking for something and you realized you'd missed an essential ingredient and you were going to go down to his shop and pay three times the price for it as you would up at Coles or Woolworths. So you don't do your regular grocery shop at the corner store. You actually went up, you know, you, you do your regular shop up at... Coles or Woolworths or Aldi or whatever it happens to be because it, you can actually, there's an opportunity to save money by doing that. Of course, um, you know, there's some items and that, that are cheaper if you buy them in bulk. And so it might be worth your, you, there might be an opportunity for you to drive extra way out to Costco and buy bulk items, right? And save some money in Costco. So what you've got is you've got to change your behavior. You don't just drive down to the corner shop to buy your groceries. You go to Coles or Woolworths or Aldi. Or, and then, you know, that's fine for some of the time. But then if there's an opportunity to save money by going to this bulk sales, then you actually get in the car and you go for a drive and you change your behavior, right? 
too often when we think about our mission and church, we think about what's comfortable for us, what's easy for us, and we're just ducking down the corner shop and picking off pieces one at a time. But what Paul is suggesting here is that we need to be wise in the way we act towards outsiders and make the most of the opportunities there is to engage with the community around us. And that may mean that we need to change our behavior, that we need to change the way we do things. That may, and that's not just as a church, that could be us as individuals. It's not just us as individuals, it's also us as a church. It's both and. Um, in my neighborhood, uh, we got a dog, and I suddenly discovered, in our neighborhood here in Borkham Hills, uh, we got a dog, and I discovered that there was a couple of older guys who used to bring their dogs out to the dog park at about 5 o'clock every day. And so uh, in winter, it was, sometimes it was 6 o'clock. So I started taking my dog out to the park in the, in the park behind our house. And uh, we started building a relationship. And while the dogs are, my dog's playing with their dogs, we're just standing around talking. And I find out, uh, and we end up in spiritual conversations quite amazingly and quite regularly. Um, it helps that they ask what you do for a living, and then I talk about Jesus, and then we end up in a spiritual conversation. But, but I know that's cheating, but, you know, I get away with it, so that's okay. Um, there's sometimes when it's not so good. Um, but uh, over the course of seven or eight years of going out regularly and building relationships with these guys, we end up in lots of spiritual conversations. And there's a whole community now that ended up going to the dog park, going to the park. It was actually illegal, I should say. That was not an off dog off the leash area, up until a couple of months ago, when one of the, our neighbours finally lobbied the council to get the rules changed. So we've got the first timed off leash area in the park, right out my so the back gate of my old house. Um, unfortunately, I'm not there anymore. So I spent seven or eight years breaking the law, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> Because the relationships, you know, I just, and particularly during lockdown, it was great. There was just opportunities to build relationships based on changing our behavior to fit in with where people are at and finding those times to build relationships. Uh, let's be wise in the way we act towards outsiders and make the most of the opportunities that are there. And the fourth thing Paul says is in verse 6. And he says, let your conversation always be full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, when we think about evangelism, I think the greatest fear that we have is that we're going to be Bible bashing people. You know, that, and what is the definition of Bible bashing? Bible bashing is having, trying to have a spiritual conversation with someone who doesn't want one, <laughs> right? Um, and so all we're trying to do, I think, when we're being wise and we're looking for opportunities, is that we're having conversations with people that are gracious, which probably means staying off social media for it. <laughs> I don't know if you can have a gracious conversation in social media. Um, but seasoned with salt means, you know, that, that is an illustration of when you put salt in your food, it's to make it flavorsome, to make it tasty. You want conversations that people are going to enjoy, like that are going to be rich and enjoyable and, and feel like they're bringing out all the flavor of life. You don't want to be the dull, boring person who's just robotically you know, running through a gospel tract. You want to be someone who is interesting to talk with, who is gracious. Um, and that, those conversations, as you're interesting and gracious, will actually then allow you to pursue those relationships and those conversations over time. And so let me encourage you, don't, don't be thinking about how do I buttonhole somebody who, and try and talk about Jesus with them when they're not interested. The question is, how do I stir up a spiritual interest in this person? The goal is not to get them to pray a prayer and cross the line. The goal is to engage them in a relationship, not just with you, but ultimately with Jesus, that won't just 
end up with one conversation, one and done, but it's actually a journey that you can walk alongside them with. Uh, and so my dog park friends, you know, there was uh, lots and lots of spiritual conversations. And I think about how far some of them have been from God and where they've ended up. But I w and I would say uh, none of those guys actually crossed the line uh, to faith. But there was a journey that I think their impression of God changed and the, their impression of the Christian faith changed. And I was really encouraged because we had other neighbors who came and joined that group and some of them are Christians, right? And so it wasn't just about me. It was about us as a team, as a community, reaching out to those in the dog park. Uh, it's the same thing that we did on campus. It's the same thing we need to do as a church is to be gracious and interesting, um, engaging as we, as we talk to people about Jesus. So Paul's words, you know, when he's thinking about this mission to the Colossians, uh, of the Colossians and by the Colossians and his mission, he's really encouraging them to say, let's be devoted to prayer. Let's speak the gospel clearly. Let's adjust our behavior to take advantage of the opportunities that God's provided. And then let's do it in a way that expresses the truth and grace of the gospel, the richness of life in the gospel. And, uh, and let's trust God that he will use us to advance his kingdom. Um, if you're looking for some, uh, some inspiration in evangelism, then I've got a little booklet. I've got about half a dozen of these. You can come and see me afterwards. But let me pray as we finish up. Father God, we thank you for the Apostle Paul who had devoted his life to proclaiming the gospel and had gathered around him a team that had planted this church in Colossae and that his heart for their church was, for your mission, was bigger than just what he was doing directly. But he was, his heart was for this church in Colossae. Thank you that he uh, knew the power of prayer, the power of prayer in their lives, but also the, necessi the necessity of their prayer for his mission. And Father, we pray that as we reflect on his instructions to them, that you would open our hearts, that you would mo move us, that we might be more devoted to prayer, to see the opportunities open up before us and to be able to take hold of them by proclaiming the gospel clearly, by adjusting our behavior to take advantage of the, advantage of the opportunities that are there and to be true representatives of you, to be people who are gracious and engaging. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.